Pray with me, please. Father God, I pray that our hearts be open today to your word. And I pray, my Father, that by the Holy Spirit's presence, I may give justice to this passage. And that I, Father, may be a mouthpiece to you and to what you want to say to your people. I adore you and praise you and I submit myself to you. Teach me your word. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Well, we are looking at this extremely important passage in which Jesus teaches about our cross. And we need to recognize, I think it's important, we need to recognize that Jesus is still in the area of Caesarea Philippi, which is an area north of Galilee, north of the Sea of Galilee, uh, near Mount Hermon. That whole area was known as Caesarea Philippi. It had been constructed uh, and rebuilt by uh, one of the sons of Herod, Philip, and uh, he named it Caesarea in honor of the Caesars, and particularly the wife of, of the Caesar, um, possibly Augustus Caesar, or maybe Julius before then. I don't know exactly when it had been built, but it was certainly dedicated and named uh, after the Caesars, and it was Caesar Philip or Caesar Caesarea Philippi. Not to be confused with another Caesarea that is built by the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, that was called Caesarea Maritima, or Caesarea by the sea. This is Caesarea Philippi up in the mountains that included, or the area that included, Mount Hermon. Um, there's much I can tell you about the area, but I'm, it's not important. Uh, I want you to recognize that this is where, the, where Jesus was with his disciples when he asked them the question, what do people say? What do the people, who do the people say that I am? And they began to discuss among them and to share with Jesus that some people were saying that he was the prophet. Some people were saying that he was Elijah that had come. Some people were saying that he was uh, John the Baptist. Some people were saying all kinds of things. And uh, Father Astor last week preached on this, uh, on this passage very, very well. And I want to encourage you to look at that. But I want you to observe that what they were saying to them is what the people observed. It, it was a declaration through man's observation of Jesus's ministry. So those that focus on his healing power would equate him with Elijah. Those that would focus on his preaching of the kingdom of God's presence would say that he's John the Baptist. Those that would see him uh, do other things would say that he's this other thing. Everybody had an opinion about Jesus. And I think today a lot of people have an opinion about Jesus, mostly through man's observation of his ministry or what people have heard that they have seen him say or do. And then Jesus asked the question, 
but who do you say that I am? And, and to me, that's one of the most important questions that we find in the entire Bible. There are a number of very important ones, like God saying uh, to Adam, where are you? I think that is such an amazing and important question. Where are you? The seeking God. But here we have Jesus asking his disciples, who do you say that I am? That's the answer to that question is the pivotal answer between salvation and rejection from the kingdom. And Peter, the bold Peter, cries out, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus makes the statement, see, that didn't come from man's observation. That came from God revelation. Because there was no way Peter could come up with those answers all by himself. So that is the difference between who Jesus is by what we think he is, and another thing is by what God says he is and the Spirit tells us he is. And Peter responds, inspired by the Spirit, influenced by God's holy presence. He received that from above, not from below. And he declares, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and then Jesus declares, and you are Petra. You are the rock. You are the rock, and upon you, or, or upon this rock, I will build my church. Uh, again, I'm not going to repeat a lot of what Father Astor said uh, last week or what I preached on uh, at his ordination yesterday. But I think it's important that you understand that what Jesus says, and this is very important, Jesus says that upon that rock he would build the church and the gates of Hades, the gates of the place of the dead, the place of hell, the place of, of, of punishment, the place of rejection will not. The gates of that place that are called Hades or hell, the gates will not prevail against the church. And, and I want you to understand that sometimes we Christians tend to want to build walls to surround the church so that nothing comes in. Like we are the ones being battered by the world. Like we are the ones being battered by hell. Like we are the ones that need to lock ourselves in our houses. And that is so contrary to what Jesus said. What Jesus said is that we are not to lock ourselves behind walls of protection. We are the army of God out into the world. It is the gates of hell that need to be careful with the church. They're the ones that need to retreat. That's what Jesus says to Peter. And then we come to the passage that we are looking at today. And besides these two things that Jesus declares about the nature of the church and the nature uh, and when I say the nature of the church, I'm not talking about the nature of a building. I'm talking about the nature of the people of God. There are actually six things here that I want to, uh, to mention to you when we look at the nature of who you and I are as the church of Jesus Christ. 
the first one is that we are founded on that statement of faith that Peter declared. That the church it stands, the rock in which we stand, is the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That statement of faith takes us from sinner to saint, from lost to saved, from illegitimate to sons and daughters of God for all eternity. And the church is founded on that rock, that statement of faith. That's the first nature or the first thing I would want to say about the nature of the church. Uh, the second one I already mentioned is that it is the gates of hell that need to watch out for the church. Watch out for the believers because we need to be on the move, not on the defense, but on the offense. We need to be the ones declaring the kingdom of God to all the people we meet. We are the ones that need to be praying for healing of those who are ill. We are the ones that need to be bringing the Holy Spirit into every home. We are the ones that need to be pushing and ramming against all that is evil in this world. We are the ones that need to be pushing against that with the gospel, not with the strength of human beings but with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the goodness of God and the love of God and the mercy of God and the truth of God, leading people to salvation. But then uh, the, the next thing or, or the third thing that I would want to bring to your attention is that part of the nature of the church which I think it's important and we cannot ignore, is that the founder of this church, the rock of this church, suffered. He announced that he was going to Jerusalem not to be enthroned. He announced that he was going to Jerusalem to be betrayed, to be beaten by the religious leaders and by many others. He was going to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. In any sense that you and I may have, that being part of that church on the move, that church with the power of the Spirit is going to prevent suffering from you and from me, it would be an erroneous way of looking at the movement of the church, scripturally as well as historically. Jesus died, Jesus suffered, Jesus bled, Jesus was in pain so that you and I can be spared the ultimate pain. But through the history of the church, it is evident that many, many, many believers have had to suffer for the sake of the gospel. The suffering and sacrifice is part of being the church. In this country, we tend to live at peace when it comes to the sharing of the gospel. In fact, I think maybe too much peace. 
We sometimes think that being the church is sitting in comfortable pews with air conditioner on, with lights on, with all kinds of media uh, all over the, the church. We, we consider that we, you know, the safety of our home. And if we don't like this thing, then we, we, we get angry with the church or whatever. There are brothers and sisters around this world giving their life literally and suffering for the sake of the gospel. And if you and I have any idea that we will not suffer with Jesus, we have the wrong view of the character of the church. Suffering and sacrifice, hard times, is, is part or are part of the character of what it really means to be a church in the move. We cannot go to battle without losses. We cannot do the gospel and push and push the gospel without being criticized and without bleeding and without suffering and without giving as much as we have to give. Because that is the nature of the church because that was the nature of the founder of this church, Jesus Christ. And so that's the first thing or the third thing, if you want to count, uh, on the character of this church. We die with Christ, and the life we live, we live with Him and through Him. The second thing I find uh, very important in the character of the church that needs to be recognized is that there's a real sense in which you and I are involved in a spiritual battle. Being part of the church is being part of spiritual warfare. Not just physical warfare, but spiritual warfare. And that spiritual warfare sometimes is very personal. And so what we find is we find that upon Jesus announcing that he needs to go and die, Peter, perhaps very well-intentioned, because good intentions are not always so good, but in his good intentions, perhaps of protecting Jesus, or maybe for his own selfish reasons, he tries to stop Jesus from doing what he just said he was going to do. Be it forbidden that you go to Jerusalem and die. That cannot happen to you. And Jesus turns around and he recognizes not that Peter is Satan. And not that Peter is, is possessed by Satan. But the fact that sometimes some of the decisions we make, perhaps even with good intentions, are contrary to the direction that God has set for the church. And any time and every time that we either for selfish reasons or for comfort or for whatever reason we say, no, let that not be. We are going against the will of God. And when we go against the will of God, we are, in fact, acknowledging the will of the enemy of God, which is Satan. So you and I need to be aware that even with good intentions, you and I sometimes can be used counter to the kingdom of God. 
And we may say, no, that cannot be. That is too much. No, that is not so. And we need to understand that as the church were involved in this battle, I often say, and I, I believe it with my heart, Paul says in Ephesians that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but that it is against spiritual forces in the heavens. But the fact is that the hardest times I have had in my life have not come through spiritual forces, but have come through very flesh brothers and sisters, and even those that are outside the church that have attempted to, uh, to hurt me, criticize me, bring me down, perhaps with good intentions at times, but that I need to maintain my eyes on what the Lord has called me to do and to be. But I also have to be aware that I may have been used at times in somebody else's life as, as someone who's stopping the kingdom of God from processing or proceeding. We need to be aware that all of us are possibly in danger of being misused. Even if our intentions seem good to us, they may not be what the will of God is. Jesus had to go and die. Peter is saying, no, not you, not my friend, not my Lord, not my master. And Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. Peter, you're now being used to counter what God wants to do with all your love for me and all your good intentions. And we are involved, and the church is involved, in a spiritual battle, not just a physical one. We need to be sure we're in the Word. We need to be sure we're in prayer. We need to be sure that we have obedience to the Word of God, even when it may be difficult and hard, and we need to lock hands together and arms together so that the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I want you to be aware that sometimes being the church, it, it, it involves us in a spiritual battle. There are enemies of the church and enemies of the word. And I pray that you and I are not sometimes being used by mistake, by error, by misinterpretation into opposing what is of God. Because when you oppose what is of God, you're actually helping the enemy. There's no middle ground. And so Jesus begins to speak to them about, if you want to save your life, you will lose it. If you want to protect your life as you understand it, you will lose your life as, as I am giving it to you. But if you lose your life for the sake of the gospel, you will have it. You will have real life. The other three things that come almost immediately on the nature of the church that Jesus speaks about, and I think it's very important. He tells uh, the disciples, having corrected Peter, he tells the disciples, uh, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Those are three things there that you and I need to, need to grapple with. What does it mean to be the church? If not, that we, the individual members of the church, we need to learn what it means to obey 
we need to learn what it means to deny ourselves. I know we may not like to hear those words, but for the sake of the kingdom, we need to learn to deny ourselves, to say no to the passions, to say no to the, our own agendas, we need to say no to anything and everything that is counter the gospel. Even, even if it's self-protection, even if it's, I don't agree with it, who are we to not agree with God's holy word? We may have a problem with it, we may not like it, but we need to deny ourselves so that God's will and God's self be done. We must learn to surrender. That's another word of saying deny yourself. Surrender, obey, submit. Those are things that may be similar to the idea of denying ourselves, our wants, our ideas, our own ideas. And then secondly, Jesus says, take up your cross. Take up your cross. Friends, let me tell you this. Jesus is not speaking about a symbolic cross. Some people say, oh, such and such person is my cross to bear. Or such and such uh, uh, experience I had, that's my cross to bear. Jesus is not speaking about those symbols. They may have been very valid and very hard times that you've experienced, but Jesus is saying that you and I are to actually pick up our cross and be willing to go to Calvary with Him or to our own Calvary anywhere that we find ourselves. And we need to be willing to die on that mountain, on that valley, on that river, on that ocean, on that city. Taking on our cross is very personal. He doesn't even say, take on my cross. He says, take on your cross. Put it on your shoulders. He's not inviting us to a picnic. He's not inviting us to a party. He's not inviting us to a, 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 a park. He's inviting us to take on our sacrificial, the cross, the symbol of the death of Jesus and of the victory of Jesus and strap it to our backs and walk with it to where it is that we are to die with Christ. Take up your cross. Yesterday during Astor's ordination, I told him at the very end as part of my challenge, I told him, don't ever, ever, for any circumstance, under any event, or for anyone, drop the cross. And I want to say to you, not to drop your cross that has also been given to you. Your personal cross as a believer, it involves sacrifice. The nature of the church is sacrificial. And I want you to, to receive that and to not drop the cross, even when it's inconvenient or even when you don't 
agree according to your own agenda. And then the, the next statement that he makes about the nature of the church, the, the, the living church, the human church, the you and me church. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. If there's anything that makes the church a church of Jesus Christ is his followers. We follow where Jesus leads. Look, there was a time in my life, there was a time in my life because since I was a small child, I've always gone to church. I've always gone to church. Uh, I remember being uh, eight, nine, ten years old and, and going to church or being taken to church. And my parents wanted me to be baptized. And actually, I was baptized late in life. I think I may have been seven or eight, something like that, when I first was baptized. It tells you a little bit about the nature of the faith in my home. And then I was being prepared for... Holy Communion or for First Communion. And uh, what I want to say to you is that having grown up in church, even into my teenage years, my relationship with Jesus, sometimes I say it this way. I'm on this side of the street and Jesus is over on the other side of the street. And I can see him over there and I can say, Hi, Jesus. Hello. And he will wave at me, but in the way there is a heavy traffic and people racing back and forth, and it's so dangerous to cross the street. And Jesus is, I love him, and I know him, and he's, but he's distant. And then one day in my life, I realized that I didn't cross the street. He crossed the street. And he came to my side of the street. And he loved me and embraced me. And I didn't have to follow him from afar. I had to become a disciple that walked with him and heard everything he said and watched everything he did. And then I was sent to do the kind of stuff that I saw him say and saw him do. Being a follower of Jesus is not about following from a distance. It's about following him so that the dust of his feet covers you. One of the proverbs I love about discipleship, find a teacher and be covered by his dust. You can only be covered by his dust when you're walking so close that the dust of his sandals comes upon you. The nature of the church is of a group of people that follow Jesus and follow him so close that not one word out of his mouth is said that we don't hear it because of distance. Not one action, not one thing would escape us because we're following so close and we're obedient to him and we serve him in that following until it's time for him to send us. The nature of the church is to deny itself, to take their cross, and to follow Jesus Christ. Today, as we look at this passage, we recognize that Jesus founded a church. It wasn't founded by man. It wasn't founded by Peter. 
and it wasn't founded by any man. In fact, I often say this to our church uh, here at St. David's, that the church is not a democracy. The church is a theocracy. I happen to be its pastor, but if I'm not connected and submitted and take my own cross, then the church becomes human-powered. The movement of the church is based on human power when it must always be based on spirit power, on the Spirit of God present with us, teaching us, and we obey God's holy word because this is a theocracy. God speaks and we say, yes, sir. That is the nature of the church. We're not always, we should never actually be in control. As pastors, as lay people, as leaders in the church, we all need to be so connected to the Lord that when any one of us seems to go in a different direction, we can call each other back that we can support one another because being the church sometimes is hard. It's very hard for humans. But together, together, we can be the church that Jesus Christ founded. That rock that would destroy ultimately the gates of hell. The gates will fall. The gates have fallen in Jesus Christ. And it is the church as it moves forward in the name of the Lord that we become everything He intended for us to become. My brothers and my sisters, you are the church. Not the building, not me alone, but all of us together, we are the church that was founded on the rock that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Son of the living God, the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Coming One. May it be that when Jesus returns in glory, He finds a faithful church and not a sleeping church. My brothers, my sisters, I love you. And I'm speaking to you from my heart. Be what the Lord called you to be, not what we think you should be. Or we should be. We are the church, and the church can transform the world. I call you to fulfill the calling of our Lord. And, and, and the, the whole passage ends with the idea that when Jesus comes, He will reward. He will reward. And I think He will also punish those who rejected Him. But He will reward, it says, to each one according to what they have done. May you and I be found faithful. May you and I be found together. 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 Supporting one another. Helping one another. Encouraging one another. Serving one another.
any division in the church, that is not of God. To that we should say, get away from me, Satan, because that only weakens the church of Jesus Christ. Hear the word of the Lord, and thank you for listening.